As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the ways that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to first-hand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how this crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hi, and welcome to Why Food Podcast, the podcast about career changers, innovators, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Valerie Lomas. And I'm Ethan Frisch. So today we have a pretty cool guest. His name is Brian Ford. He is a bakery consultant and recipe developer, and also the most recent winner at the Savour Blog Awards for Best baking blog. We are so excited to have you, Brian. Hello. All the way from Miami. Yes, I'm traveling from Miami. It's yeah. very cold up here. <laughs> <laughs> I think when this airs, it, it may be a little warmer. It's it's February, but... It may or it also it probably not. won't be since, this, you know, we're, we're going to air this soon. We're pre-recording this episode because I'm going to be... When, when you, dear listener, are hearing our voices, I'm probably in India and Valerie is... Valerie is um, somewhere at home with her computer. Writing her cookbook. Writing away. That's the best place to be. (laughs) So uh, we're so excited to have you, Brian. Um, You have such an incredible story and journey that brought you, you know, to this place where you are now. Like, you've had a crazy 2019. Yeah. You basically went from, like, I mean, you know, one metric is Instagram followers. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So like <laughs> what happened what happened on your Instagram in 2019? How, yeah, how how much did it blow up and how it, fast? Yeah, I mean, um too fast. Um uh, it's it's dangerous to be on my phone that much really. It's just too much. Um, <laughs> too much blowing up. Too, too much, much blowing up. Too I much think, winning. I, I, think, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think there's, I think there's a thing. You can get burnt out from winning now. <laughs> totally, but I would say um, what in the past year and a half you went from like I had like uh 500 followers to Forty-five thousand, something like no something deal. around that. I think I had a thousand five hundred in uh, September two thousand eighteen. Well, so Brian, wow. tell us like how did uh, how did that happen? Who who are you to go from fifteen hundred to forty five thousand? That's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. Yeah, I don't let, know who I am. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, let's take it back a little, right? <laughs> so you were actually you were actually born in the Bronx. Yes, I was. Yeah. So uh, welcome home. Yeah, welcome <laughs> home. I come every year for my birthday now. I think to New York City. 
community. I think that's just going to be my tradition. Oh, that's a nice little pilgrimage of sorts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you were a baby, you moved to New Orleans, yeah. uh, my home state of Louisiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you were raised. And, you know, your family, they're Honduran. And so you were growing up like in the city of New Orleans or, or maybe some of the little like surrounding suburbs, yeah. like what, Metairie, Metairie Kenner, Kenner, Slido. Slido. Yeah. yeah. So you were um, growing up in New Orleans, which obviously has like a very specific food culture. Yeah, it does. Uh, but like, tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up there, going to college there, and um, and how that kind of influences you now and with your food and your baking. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, the biggest influence is is kind of growing up in a Honduran household in New Orleans. It's because uh, you kind of get a double dose of awesome cuisine. You know, it, at school lunch, I'd have jambalaya, and then for dinner, I'd have baleadas. So, oh, my God. That you know, sounds amazing. Arroz con pollo or something. <laughs> so it's like I, w- I was always kind of um, – uh, there's a lot of Latinos, a lot of Hondurans in, in New Orleans. So I was just kind of one in, in the pocket of many that got to have that like little lifestyle. Um, but, you know, as a child growing up, you mentioned like just cooking and baking. It was just a part of yeah. your household. It was yeah. a part of your life. My mom used to make. Uh, so my mom, she ultimately became an accountant. Um, but before that, while she was in school raising us, she would make tortillas, um, arroz con pollo, chuletas, pastelitos. She would she would bake. A lot of different things, and uh, and my dad would like me to bake uh, some breads for him. So when I was like I don't know ten or something, I figured out how to make like yeasted raisin breads, and they would just burn in the tin. Like I wouldn't even oil the tin; I would just like put the dough in. And uh, but then he claimed to like the burnt part. Like so, I think he was just being nice. So some would, people like the burnt part. It's a thing. I like burnt food. <laughs> I, I, I really do like burnt bread. I bake bread like black like super burnt uh and it's to me it's good but uh so so there began your career as (laughs) to becoming a bread guy yeah i guess so and i I just did quotes for our listeners but um Um, there have been many stops along the way including an accounting degree and an accounting career yeah yeah I'm i'm a certified public accountant um yeah, I, I, it actually, I say that with such such pride. I, hey, I fail, I fail, I failed the test thirteen times before I passed it. Wow! I was I was working, and I'm not afraid. I, I, like people are like, yeah, Yo, you shouldn't even say that. I'm like, yeah, I should. Um, because wait, was, you can take it thirteen times. How often do they hey, offer man, this test? A lot. Okay. All right, it costs a lot of money to take too. Um, but that was the that was the 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 traditional path. That's what I believed my life journey was going to be. Ultimately, even though I had this passion for food and bread and, and this skill set, it took me a while to like materialize a plan, like an actionable plan, um, even though arguably I still don't have one. Um, why, do you think, why do you think you didn't see baking or cooking as a, a viable career option so, as a kid or as a young adult? Yeah, as a young adult, uh, as a kid, anything's possible, sure. right? <laughs> but as a young adult, when I had my first accounting job and after two years, I was kind of burned out of tax season, being a tax guy. And I, so I quit that job and I was like, I'm going I'm to open a bakery. Um, but I didn't, uh, even though I am an accountant, I, I didn't run the numbers. Uh, so I, I quit without any plan and I, and I sat down. And I was like, how do you open a bakery? Um, did you go- when you say sat down? Did you Google or did you? Have no, books? I just no, what I didn't your- Google. I just used. Uh, I don't want to say logic. That's that's a little pretentious. I just I just was like, all right, well, what would my startup cost be, right? Like, what what working capital do I need? You know, what reserves do I need uh, for what kind of utilities? Like, what's the overhead going to look like? What's the cost of ingredients? Where am I going to source? So I'd make these spreadsheets, um, and uh, the numbers were big. 
they, they were, they were all like, you know, and I had student loan debt and I was like, man, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't have that kind of capital to, to, to do a bakery the right way. I mean, anyone can start a little cottage thing with, you know, mediocre quality bread or something. And define cottage for our listeners. Like what is a cottage bakery? So what does I, that mean? I've never officially been a cottage baker, but I'm friends with a lot of cottage bakeries and, um, it means that there are laws. Each state has a set of laws. They're called, called cottage food laws. I don't um, think New York allows this, by the way. I, I think <laughs> that uh, New York State does. I think the city might get weird about it. I don't know. Um, are, I, I ran my spice business under cottage industry laws for the first year, mostly legally. Yeah, and, there you uh, go. Yeah, there are, there are ways around it in certain categories that, that are covered where you are yeah. allowed to produce at home. Yeah. But it's primarily, at least in New York State, it's primarily a bake sale. A lot of, yeah, a lot of baked goods, as long as there's no meat and stuff like that. Um, so if you're, and if you're selling, there are, there are Laws also about how you can sell it. You're not allowed to sell online. Not yeah, to you can't sell online. Um, which it, it sucks. Um, it's like uh, you can't do wholesale. So I mean, you, you know, imagine yeah. wholesale business would be booming if you could do it as a some some states I think allow it, but a lot of them don't. It has to be uh, con, con, person to person yeah. sales. Right. So cottage basically means um, doing stuff out of your own home. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So like I, you you bake things at home, and uh, as long as they're not perishable or have any weird ingredients like bread is is three ingredients, uh, you know, croissants and pastry is five, six ingredients. So it's you can get uh, get away with a lot if you're doing that. Um, but I I never officially operated as a cottage. Uh, uh, you know, my first little wholesale bakery was uh, I technically rented a kitchen, but you know, some things may or may not have been made at home. So <laughs> and, you know, tell us about your your style. What makes your baked goods different from everything else? Oh man, that's crazy. Um, honestly, I, I kind of uh, and, and so the book that I just wrote, it's um, a big part of it is um, I don't worry too much. I, I try not to um, pay too much attention to the technical things. Like, and I'm especially if I'm baking at home or if I'm writing up recipes on the blog. My blog's very simple. I mean, my recipes read in like five minutes it's just like simple lines because I don't get into the granular stuff especially like if my audience is home bakers I'm not going to have them obsessing about the temperature and all that kind like of thing. Like the temperature of the air, Look, the temperature of the now, flour. When I'm when I'm working with bakeries, like I, I work in Panama with a bakery called Crume, and uh, when I'm there helping them improve the quality of the, the, the bread that they make for sale, um, certainly I work with their head baker and we, we obviously analyze that. I'll that's the only time I get into that granular stuff of, of, you know, making sure the dough temperature is 28 Celsius and, you know, what's the water temperature. But even after a while, um, I, I, I don't let it dominate me. I don't like to be dominated by the, the technical stuff in the book and the rules. Um, so it's a little more relaxed. It's very relaxed what I do, actually. I mean, if, you're, if you've ever baked with me, uh, <laughs> if you're listening, like, you know, it's, it's chill. It's, um, so that, that's what it is, and I like to use... The influences of my upbringing of New Orleans, like I've got a bananas foster sourdough recipe in my book. Um, I like to, yeah. I mean, you should see our faces right now. We're is, like, what? Is bananas foster a New Orleans? Dish? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Am I supposed yeah. to know this? I apologize. Oh, I'm people sorry. might not know this, and <laughs> I, I'm I personally like offended. No, <laughs> surprised. <laughs> I'm, yeah, it's it's uh, basically uh, it's like an ice. It's like a dessert where they light your yeah. ice cream on fire with rum and put bananas on it. Yeah, but there, like there's um there's a place on what is it? It's uh, it's on Canal Street. 
street. It's a Brennan's place, but Oof. Palace Cafe. Yeah. And they claim yeah. to like, they have a whole story, like a whole origin story for Bananas Foster. Wow. So you can go to the Palace Cafe website and check that out. But um, So how did it work in a sourdough? What was well, the... So basically, yeah, how does that work? So it's an enriched bread. Um, and so just to clarify, like when you say something is sourdough, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like this rusty crusty loaf of bread um you can use your starter to make anything rise i make beignets with my sourdough starter i make you know so i make this enriched bread which means it's got butter or milk or sugar or something in the dough and uh it's also got a little bit of mashed up bananas in it and then i made the filling like the bananas foster filling and then i rolled it up and then i put some bananas on top that's not all though after <laughs> while you're baking it halfway through the bake you take it out you drench it with rum and you light it on fire yes you, just, you light the bread on fire and then fire. put it back in the oven and then you put it back oh in the oven oh my god I'm is, so down I, what does that step accomplish I um fun that was so okay sure fun. because you should have fun if you're going through all of that baking you should you should bread, be allowed to light fun. something on fire you yes. be allowed recipe testing for that one was um fun was interesting <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was fun but there were a lot of because bur- remember you need the picture uh, yeah, at the, at the point where I needed the picture, like a lot, like the, some of them came out too black. I was like, I gotta do that again. <laughs> <laughs> but no, nah, no, nah, it's uh, yeah. So that's that. Um, but that's the style. It's like uh, you know, and I didn't grow up like eating bananas Foster. It wasn't right. bananas Foster wasn't something like. I, in fact, I've said it more times today than I've said it in my life. Like, so, so can I ask a, a contra- possibly controversial question? Sure. How do you feel about the term fusion applied to food or, or culinary styles? I, I don't, I, I, you know, it, I know what it means. Like, I know what people are trying to say when you combine uh, flavors, two different flavors into one dish or cuisine or, or meal. I don't, I guess some people get offended by that. I don't particularly use the word fusion. I don't right because you're living it essentially, right? Yeah, but <laughs> I'm not like against. Like if someone was like, "Oh, this is like Latin American fusion baking," like, I'd be like, "Cool, yeah, sure, whatever." You know, if that's how you're perceiving it, if that's I know what you're trying to say though. When when is there a term that you? I mean, I've heard people use the term progressive to describe uh, that that, you, that kind of style. <laughs> I've heard, I mean, there are a million terms that people use. Is there a way that you? prefer to talk about the the kind of collection of influences into a single I, dish that's, I, I, that's I think truly that's, yours? I think just calling it being in, like, I think just calling some, like, it's in, I'm influenced by things because I'm not doing anything new. It's just bread. Bread's been made for thousands of years. <laughs> right. Bread, just people, bread, right. I mean, at the end of the day, there's no way I can say I'm progressive just because I lit the bread on fire. I mean, that, you know, that's cool, but it's just, a, it's a loaf of bread. And uh, it was, you know, back in the day, people used sourdough. That, like in Africa, I mean, that's that's you know, theoretically, that's where it started. Apparently, go figure, right? <laughs> um, so then, then society moved into industrialized uh, yeast uh, that's manufactured, um, and only recently are people going back to like, oh, naturally leavened. It's it's a trendy thing. It's it's you know, and I'm part of it. It's it's people are, you know. I don't want to say harping on the word sourdough, but it's it's definitely the rage right now. And uh, but it's nothing new. It's in fact something old. So that's um, you know it's like going back to the basics and 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 doing things the way they should be done uh, in terms of making the bread rise. So what do you what do you think it is about our current cultural moment in food that makes 
sourdough. And and I think this is true across the board, right? Everybody's looking for these like older styles, bringing them back, yeah. this trying Organic to get to it. Yeah. Way of, I, trying I'm, to get I'm, to some like impossible goal of authenticity yeah, or, or truth. Yeah. I think people, it's funny when I landed in Newark a few days ago, there was a sign and it said, uh, it was literally a restaurant. It said like farm raised organic, uh, farm to table <laughs> at the airport. Yeah, like it was a paragraph of buzzwords. Right. And I put on my story. I'm like, yo, it's it, there should be a one buzzword rule. Like it, everyone should just get one buzzword. And everybody that's cool. calm down. Yeah, like you can be organic bakery, cool. Like your organic farm to table, uh, all this stuff. Vegan. And the irony of that is like, if you want to eat like that, just like maybe grow some vegetables in your backyard. Yeah. And then go out and pick them and eat yeah. them. And then you're accomplishing all of those and you're reducing yeah. your carbon footprint. No, you know what, though? I'm not even... Neither do I. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, to answer your question, though, I think that people just at this point, um, people probably just want to live longer, right? I mean, people want to be healthier. People want to, whether or not they mean it or, you know, whether they're being pretentious, people want to, like, save the planet. People want things to be more sustainable. People want practices to be sustainable, especially bakers. There's there's so many bakers that are using locally milled or regionally milled flour, um, using different grains, ancient grains, spelt, emmer, that have tons of health benefits, like lots of nutritional value in fresh flour that's made. And when you make it with this slow fermentation process that sourdough offers – you are making something that's more digestible, something that's healthier for you, something that's got nutrients. Like it's actually good for you to eat bread, and it's not this vilified, you know, Wonder Bread, Bunny Bread type uh, type thing. So I think, I think in sourdough, when it comes to this kind of movement, be, there's trends everywhere. There's trend, you know, this uh, you know Neapolitan style pizza is is the thing. Wood fired pizza, um, whatever wherever you turn in the food world right now, you're gonna see it. Um, I just you know I'm part of the bread portion of it and uh and i love making bread the old-fashioned way um but yeah i think everyone's got different motive i mean so i actually want to talk a little bit about um you being a consultant and even with your blog because Mm. you're doing what you're doing is you're teaching essentially and that's something that you've done in your background yeah so you were you were mentioning you know when you were in college and just looking for a way to make a little pocket money um you were not only like selling bread that you baked but you were also teaching workshops on how to cook because i guess (laughs) even like and even in louisiana like People don't necessarily yeah. well, in our generation know how to cook. So you were teaching most people, people then. Mo- most of them were from out of state. So. <laughs> <laughs> I I, uh, I used to be a line cook, prep cook, uh, server, and stuff. Through, you know, various little spots in college. And uh, some friends of mine, my roommates, they uh, you know worked at Commander's Palace type guys. And we were like, Yo. that's like the yeah. restaurant yeah, in New sorry. Orleans. I've, I've actually heard of Commander's oh. Palace. Sorry, and it's the it's the high version of the place that. Has the bananas foster that, origin that's story? Actually true. They, got a, they got a mean bread pudding at Commanders. Um, it's a bread pudding souffle, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, anyway, so these guys—I uh, don't keep the best touch with them, you know, uh, old friends. But uh, we started this thing, or they started it. Really, it was called Sunday Cook Day. They—they um, were—they were like devoted to it. I had—I was working these accounting internships, so like it took me a while to find the time to really get involved with them but they so they started it and then we would do cooking cooking classes for people like how to cook chicken how to cook rice like literally basics in the dorm room kitchen 
uh, or they'd come to our apartment. It's like workshops. Uh, and then it kind of turned into like this little catering company. We started doing events. I remember the first big event we did, it was like a concert in some dude's backyard in the Bywater of New Orleans. Um, had this live funk band and I was doing tortillas. I made 150 I say tortillas, guys. It's tortillas, but I'm just going to say tortillas to, to keep it simple. Um, <laughs> every time I say that, my, my brother calls. He's like, dude, you said tortillas, bro. Coach, tortillas. Co- yo, co- we can talk about code switching if you guys want. It's exhausting to kind of have to go back. Know, and it's like, man. well, am I going to say things am I like say tortillas or am I going to say tortillas? Exactly. Say so anyway, you can do whatever you whatever, like on this yeah. podcast. I'll just, say, fine. I'll just say tortillas. Yeah, <laughs> to come up with a totally different word to describe. So I, we had an open flame and a, and a cast iron on the open flame, and I made these tortillas. It, it was insane. I had never done anything like that. Um, my dough was on point. My mom would have been proud of that dough. Um, so that's yeah, a that's great kind standard, of actually. <laughs> would your mother be proud of this tortilla? I, yeah, you could have hundred customer reviews be positive, but if your mom's like the tortilla wasn't right, I'd be like, dang. <laughs> Close the doors. Guess it wasn't. Start yeah, over. I guess it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was yeah. So workshops. I mean, essentially, um, we taught people how to cook food. Um, it was. I never did any baking workshops at that point, though. I never taught people how to bake. Um, I do a lot of that now, but uh, yeah, it, it's kind of the same. So you were kind of just honing in on those skills yeah. at, and like little did you know that when it was time, because you started your blog so recently and you've already had so much success with it, but it's because you've kind of been honing in on these skills with the teaching people yeah. how to cook and working on the bread recipes yourself. You were even a, a kid soccer coach, yeah. which doesn't have to do with food, but has a lot to yeah. do with like getting your point across. Right. Yeah, you got to talk. Uh, maybe that's why my blog's so simple. It's, it's for kids or something. I don't know. Um, no, yeah, you have to kind of just simplify things and explain them. I happen to like doing that, whether it's uh, soccer or baking or cooking food. So that's that's how that happened. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay cool. tuned. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 Potato Chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food, and we're joined this week by Brian Ford, who is a baker, blogger, recipe developer, author, uh, Sever Blog Award winner, uh, All right. code switcher in his pronunciation of tortilla. <laughs> uh, tortilla. Oh, gosh. Um, Brian, uh, before, we, before the break, you were talking about uh, some of the influences that your other your other careers or your other yeah. jobs have had on your current career as a baker. Um, can you talk through that a little bit more, being an accountant? Yeah. I, I mean, to me, not being a baker or an accountant, it seems like there would be some similarities in an attention to detail, a, a, a level of precision that's required. Do you required. know how to use Excel? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Listen, um, it's funny. I, I, ha- I have to be 100% honest because I like to, to kind of, 
I like to be that way. Um, I'm not. I'm not really that organized or precise. <laughs> um, I was never the best accountant. I I was an average worker. I did fine. I got great grades. You know, I was cum laude, whatever. I was part of uh, honor societies um, in university and stuff like that for business. I mean, I was I was pretty good at it, but I I did not have. Um, my mind never really wanted to be a part of it. You know what I mean? So I, I never gave it uh, the respect it deserved. Um, like my mom, she's an accountant. She's like laser sharp with her numbers. Um, I am good at Excel. I am proficient with Excel. And these, you know, learning terminologies, um, uh, accounting, th- that accounting degree really helps you become an entrepreneur. So um, that's my biggest takeaway of having that background and like having gone through that career was understanding what it really takes to navigate um, you know, starting a business. How do you open your LLC? How do you tax it? How do you, how are you taxing yourself? How how do I, you know, find my cost of goods, my taxable income, my yeah, this and that. So I, you know, I know all of the theory of that. I might not be the best executor of it when it comes to you know. I might do my tax return, have my friend help me, who's a better accountant. Be like, yo, this is what I was thinking, you know, blah blah blah. And he'll be like, yeah, we can do this. So you know, I never, like I said, I failed CPA exam quite a few times. So, but I, you passed. I did. Yeah, I passed it. Um, so do, do you feel like that uh, that experience of resilience, failing the test a bunch of times and then passing it, is that was that particular to, to accounting or is that something you've, it's you've happening, done yeah, in, it's, in other aspects of your I, life I'm, as well? I'm kind of at the point right now where I'm I've like I'm passing the exam because I, right. I did. Have, yeah. Like I'm, so in the in the in, in the baking uh, world, because um, I've had a few startups, a few, essentially. A, few, a few little endeavors and a few little opportunities that may or may not have gone the way they should have, but um, one could argue that they went exactly how they should have. Um, so I, I moved to Miami from New Orleans, and I quit my accounting career, and I started this little wholesale bakery um, out of my friend's house slash commissary kitchen. Um, and at that point, I was, you know, I'd contemplated doing it. Like I said, I, I did cost analysis, and I was like, oh, I can't do it. At this point, um, I, you know, I didn't have that much savings, but I was like, all right, you know, I've got, I've got a plan to where, if I if I sell X amount of loaves of bread, um, I can break even and or afford rent to keep pushing through. Um, but I kind of outgrew that setup. Um, I had some coffee shops that wanted pastries and uh, bread for the farmers market, and doing it out of my friend's house, not my. If it was my own house, uh, I would have just done whatever. But uh, there was there was a morning he was like, "Hey man, it's getting kind of messy." It was. It wasn't organized. It wasn't. Uh, what it could have been or should have been. And at that point, I needed to evolve into giving customers a consistent and better product instead of an inconsistent, sometimes mediocre, sometimes great product. So after six months of doing that, my wife and I were like, um, you know, the rent got a little crazy with the commissary. And I was like, I, I just, I don't think that we can keep doing it this way without giving people a good product. So that, so that was like strike one type thing of like, that was like the first failure, so to say. And, um, I had 500 followers. No one knew who I was. No one was watching. So I was like, whatever. No, one, yeah. Uh, I, but I got to learn. I got to learn things like, um, you know, perfect recipes, practice recipes, practice shaping. I got to actually be a baker for myself for a while. Um, and then, but then I kind of put pause on that. And some other opportunities would come up. Um, and they were all preparing you, really, yeah. for fall 2018 yeah. when you happened to make this coconut bread that you yourself you were like wow this is beautiful yeah. I should take a video of it yeah I had this job offer that uh there was some construction delays so I was waiting to be the head baker uh, at this new bakery in Miami and uh 
I was like, what can I do while I'm waiting? You know, it's not, you know, construction delays happen. So I was like, what can I do while I'm waiting? I've got this little Instagram that's kind of picking up. And so I, one day I was like, I want to make uh, coconut bread, a hundred. And this was the first time I thought about actually infusing my culture into a baked good. Uh, well, see, it's kind of not true because I used to bake king cakes uh, in college. But, you know, in New Orleans, you got to bake king cakes. Um, but that, that hunter and that Latin American influence, I was like, uh, man, I like pan de coco. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this. So I make this coconut bread. And I post this video, gets reposted. Tons of people ask for the recipe. And I was like, well, I'm waiting for this job. Um, let me put the recipe up on a blog. What do you think it was about that, that recipe that captured people's attention? I think it was something that, uh, quote me, don't quote me, I don't know if it's been done before, a uh, uh, naturally leavened coconut bread that just looked that good on Instagram or on, you know, on social media, you know, hashtag sourdough of uh, most of the time you're seeing these beautiful rustic loaves, uh, polenta, olive, you know, these kind of traditional type sourdough loaves or baguettes or croissants, but like pan de coco, you know what I mean? Like a little dense bread you find in Central America. No one was like making that with sourdough. So I think, I think a lot of people, the first podcast I did, the only ever other one I've ever done, he was like, uh, he's like, you know, I didn't even know what pan de coco was. And I was like, well, now you do, (laughs) you know? Right. So you post this, it essentially goes viral because the day after you post it, you wake up and you have like just all like thousands of new followers. It was pretty crazy. I never thought that. Um, I wasn't prepared. That virality could happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't really prepared for that. Um, But people were like asking, demanding really for the recipe. And you at the, I mean, at the time you were just like on Instagram, you didn't have a blog. So, and that's just the beginning. People were asking and I provided the recipe. I never would have thought that it would actually work. (laughs) that people would actually be able to use what I wrote down to successfully make this bread. And I mean, still like till today, every day, I mean, there's people that just make it, they make it, they make pan de coco. They post the video that say, everyone does the same little thing I did when I opened it up, the steam's coming out. And I'm like, wow, I wrote down words that are useful to people, that taught people and help them share bread at home. Like I helped someone share bread you know right so even more than maybe the number of people you've reached it's like what is it that makes you feel good about what you're doing yeah i think just that just make like helping people make delicious bread right just having a real impact yeah it's not it's not yeah a real impact i mean a follower is just a number but there are real people who are who are making better bread i want to say like because of me because that's crazy as it sounds a little too you know, like because of me, they made good bread, but well, they were, I, yeah, yeah, because I was able to help them, whether it's, um, you know, bakery, I do this consulting air quotes consulting for, uh, I, I'm able to help them make better bread for their family and for their friends and for their sometimes even customers. I think in New Zealand, there's a bakery that added pan de coco to their menu and because of the recipe. And I was like, that's, that's man, that's wild. How do you see uh, the balance between a recipe being yours and a recipe being a, a traditional a traditional recipe, right? In the case of Ponte Coco, obviously yeah. it is a traditional recipe, but you obviously also adapted yeah, it. Yeah, mine's actually, my the one that I put on the blog is actually not traditional at all um, because it's uh, it's got sweeter. A, pa- a Ponte Coco in the streets of Honduras is a little dense. 
um, usually with a little whole wheat flour. And it's typically eaten with savory soups, like a fish soup or a bean stew or something like that, uh, like little kind of dense rolls. And so when I made this recipe, I was like, I don't want it to be that dense, so I'll use only white flour. Um, it's naturally leavened with sourdough, and then I'm going to add a good bit of sugar into it, give it nice volume as well, and I'm going to put coconut on top, like shredded coconut on top, so that it toasts during the bake. So you typically wouldn't find shredded coconut on a pan de coco in Honduras. It's usually just like this kind of little roll. Um, sort of enriched with coconut, it, coconut oil or yeah, coconut it's coconut flakes coconut or milk. something? Inside it's coconut milk, a little bit of water. Um, whatever your oil preference is, if you're vegan, you can use olive oil and coconut oil. I, I use butter. Um, you can use both at the same time. I mean, that's my style of baking. It's like I said, I mean, if you get, you could throw all three fats in there and it'll be great. <laughs> um, brown sugar, granulated sugar again, um, or rapadura, which is the, uh, that solidified, um, panela. I don't know if you know what panela is. It's that, uh, solidified brown sugar that you kind of, um, shave. Mm. So you can, or honey, whatever your form of sugar. Um, so it's not many ingredients. Uh, so, so my version is very different from a traditional pan de coco, but, um, so do you, does that, um, when, when you see other people like this bakery in New Zealand, for yeah. example, making pan de coco, your recipe, not, not the traditional version. How do you, like, how do you contextualize that? Do you feel like, do you have a, feel like you have a certain responsibility or, or not because the recipe is now in the world and anybody can do it. Yeah, want? I don't have a response. The recipe is, um, it's in the world. It's free. It's, you know, um, it's on the internet for people to use however they want. And, uh, there's a bakery in, uh, not far from Miami, uh, bred by Johnny. And he made pan de coco. He said it was inspired by my recipe and it's his version. And yeah. that's awesome. That's great. I, I want that. I, I just did a collaboration with another blogger and we put um, purple sweet potato into coconut bread because she's Filipino. And they also eat coconut bread. So we were like, yo, let's collab. Let's put the, the Philippine sweet potato in there too. So it's ube pan de coco. Um, do, do with it what you please. It's, it's there to be made. You and know. hopefully they'll they'll buy your book. Yeah, and it's available for pre order now, right? Yes, it is. Um, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about like that process. Yeah, of, so so because I mean it all just kind of again like everything kind of just happened in 2019 and it's now still going strong. Yeah, so. yeah. One could argue I'm not uh, qualified or something to have these things happening, but you know it's happening. And uh, the one advice I, I usually just like, just like roll with it. Just whatever's happening, just go with it. And if someone calls you an expert, just like, just be like, okay, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm working, I'm waiting for this job. I make this blog. I ended up taking another job as just a baker, um, at Sullivan Street Bakery. And I'm like, wow, I've got this blog, like kind of blowing up, but, um, like financially, I'm just working hourly wage as a baker. Um, you know, how do I, translate this into something I can live off of without taking the plunge again to open up a bakery. Then I get this uh, message uh, on Instagram. Hey, I have a bakery here in Miami. Can you come help me improve my, can you come help me make sourdough? And I was like, okay. And this is in like March, 2018. Um, so I, I start to do this, what I call consulting now. And then at the same time, I get this offer to write a book because uh, the acquiring editor hears me on this podcast, Sourdough Podcast, and he was like, wow, it's a very interesting story. Would you be interested in doing a book proposal? And so I was like, okay, well, you know, something's here. The blog's doing well. Um, bakeries, 
think I can help them. And then I go and I actually help them. You know, I, I actually give value. Uh, and I've got the opportunity to write a book. So That's expertise. Yeah, expertise is, is what they what they call them. Apparently, the, the key is that my recipes work, which like sometimes I cringe when I go read them. I mean, because I, I was never a writer. I'm not an English major. Um, you know, there's like spelling errors. But you're and a stuff teacher. That, yeah, but I'm and a teacher. And you've been teaching this Apparently. whole time. So, so the fact that they work makes me feel um, proud, I guess. Like one of the few things... I'm, I'm like proud. I, I can say I'm proud of that. It's not many things, you know. What's the hashtag that people can see your coconut bread and everyone breaking them open with the smoke coming out? Probably hashtag pan de coco or hashtag artisan Brian. Um, I am not that consistent with building my own hashtag. I think I, I, I use hashtag artisan Brian. I tell people to use that when they want me to repost their stuff mm-hmm. so that I can make sure I find it. Yeah. Because um, at this point, it's impossible for me to, to find everyone. Uh, and I like to, every time someone makes one of my recipes, I, I put it to my story. I don't, yeah. ca- I don't care what's going on in my day. If I'm like on vacation, sharing vacation pictures and I have to interrupt it with, uh, I think just yesterday, this Italian guy like made my focaccia recipe from start to finish because I feel I filmed my focaccia video tutorial in Italian. Like I spoke Italian and it was awesome and it worked. And Italian people were like, yo, that's really cool. So like I stopped my whole story day just to put his step by step and just be like, thank man, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for like saying that that recipe worked for you. You know, your focaccia was beautiful. Do do you speak Italian? How did you do a video? I speak a little bit of Italian. (laughs) And there's also this thing called Google Translate. Magic. That uh, because I can pronounce Spanish, I can pick up Italian words and just like say them. So, I you know, I know like the basics like, hi, I'm Brian. I'm from, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then I just kind of like translated some verbs and and then I just went for it. It wasn't perfect, but... uh, um, and what's the name of the book and where can people uh, pre-order? So the book is called New World Sourdough. Um, it's, uh, it's a great title. It, uh, I love that. You know, it's funny. New World Sourdough, um, when Central America was colonized or discovered, it, it was the New World, right? I mean, it, it, I don't know. There's, just, there's a meaning there. It, uh, because a lot of people call old school baking like old world baking. Um, so I kind of wanted to just play around with that, uh, you know, Latin America, the new world, um, and, and, and tapping into those roots and also just kind of simplifying a lot of home bakers are intimidated by, um, other resources, other baking resources, which are phenomenal resources. There's so many amazing books and blogs that might be too technical for people. And luckily for them, I'm very not, I don't obsess over those technicalities, like I said. Um, so I'm just a different, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a different approach for the sourdough thing for people. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have a temperature thing happening and, um, you just have to relax and bake. And so that, so that's kind of the, the style I put into the book as well. Um, I didn't do any, um, so a crumb shot is when you post a picture of the inside of the bread. Um, I'm guilty of posting beautiful crumb shots of my own cause it looks awesome. But in the book, I only did hand torn pictures if i showed the inside of the bread I, it was because it was ripped in half it, it's not perfect it look in fact the cover has a hand-torn kind of mangled looking country loaf uh that's got weird irregularities and uh some might say is a poorly baked loaf of bread you know and but i wanted that i was like i want that on the cover i want someone to walk by and be like hey that looks like the loaf i bake you know that's it's not perfect 
uh, you don't have to strive for that perfection. So, so the book hopefully will encourage people to continue to love their imperfections and love everything that they make. And what's next for you, Brian? Man, uh, <laughs> 2019 was like so big. Like, how do you top that? <laughs> I, well, I am working on some things that, that can hopefully top that. Um, Anything that you can uh, share or, or does your book have a, do you know what date it's going to be out or what month? So it's out June 16th, my mom's birthday this summer. Uh, I am doing a series of workshops for the book. I'm going to be doing a couple in Latin America. And then I'm actually, um, I'm moving from Miami to Denver in April. And so I'm going to do some workshops on the way for the book. Um, people pre-order the book and then we do some recipes from the book. So I'm going to probably continue to, uh, I'm going to pick back up my workshop uh, demand, pick, pick, pick back up. Yeah, that works. Yeah. yeah. There's demand for me to do workshops. So this year I've got a lot of them booked, um, Asheville, New Orleans, uh, El Salvador. Like, so I think this year we'll be focusing on that and focusing on getting the book out into the world. Um, and is there a list of those workshops, a place for people to sign up yeah, on yeah. your site? Yeah, you can go to artisanbryan.com and then you can go to book a workshop. Uh, the only one that's live right now is, uh, the one in New Orleans, on March 29th, I think there's only three spots left. And then um, there's one in October that I'm doing in Asheville, North Carolina with Walnut Schoolhouse. Uh, and that one is live as well. Uh, the other ones, I'm still working out the details. Um, should be in Austin, Texas, possibly Santa Fe and Denver. So, I mean, uh, just kind of keep an eye out for um, book a workshop section of my website. Should we do a little rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. What did, that you, mean? did you warn him? Nope. No, I did him. not warn you. That's even better. <laughs> so we're going to we're going to close out the podcast with oh, just some rapid fire questions. <laughs> um, Fun, light, easy. You, you look stressed. Don't dude, be no, stressed. Dude, yeah. How, how long? Should uh, we do another shot of mezcal before? No, no, no. <laughs> no, you sip mezcal. Oh, yeah, um, I, I took how, how wordy do my answer? I have to be uh, concise. No, whatever you want. It's right. pretty, pretty. All right, pretty let's relaxed. do it. I'm, I'm ready. Um, what's the weirdest application for a sourdough starter that you've ever seen or heard of you mean like baked like i don't know whatever, whatever. what's the, the, the craziest way to use a sourdough starter um you could call anything crazy some people make uh pancakes and pasta they'll put their sourdough pasta. starter in pasta dough i haven't heard of that but you know pasta doesn't isn't leavened why would you need exactly that's why it's so it's, it's, it's like it's called sourdough it's called sourdough discard and uh some people use their um like when their starter's not active it's just like a goopy funky mess They'll just take that and put it into anything. Uh, okay. it's for I love that zero waste yeah. life. And it's, it's for flavor and, and flavor. digestibility. It does. It does yeah, actually. The... You know, it's not just a trendy thing. So um, sourdough pasta stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. Any any non food applications? Do, do, is there anybody who has like a face mask with sourdough starters? It wouldn't or surprise me. Not yeah. that I'm aware of, but it wouldn't surprise me. All right. Um, what is your favorite type of flour? Uh, like to bake with. Sure. Um, oh yeah, not like a flower outside. No, no, obviously. <laughs> uh, I like to use just you know, bread flour and whole wheat flour. Uh, I'm not. I've not lived in a region where um, good grain is accessible. Hence, hence my moving out of the south to. I don't want to say the south. I mean, this is good grain in the south. But um, I've lived in New Orleans before. Belgard Bakery was there who has done a great job bringing freshly milled grain to the city. And I live in Miami. And in Miami, there's no flour accessible besides what I can find or order 
expensively. So um, I, I keep it simple with what I bake with. I, I bake with like, uh, you know, organic when possible, whole wheat flour, spelt, uh, bread flour, all purpose flour. Keep it simple. Valerie, what's your favorite? Oh, <laughs> well, see, I don't do bread. Yeah, but you I bake. Mean, I, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I love an all-purpose flour. Of course. Especially yes. if you want other people to bake your recipes. It's like, what do people have access to? Correct. And, you know, I tested some of my friends who I would think that, oh, you've been my best friend for 15 years. You've picked up some stuff, like, through osmosis. And I'm like, do you know what cake flour is? Or do you think you can get cake flour at the grocery store? And they're like... Uh, yeah. They look scared yeah. when I mention like something that to me is like a pretty uh, pretty standard. So I I try to keep it accessible. Yeah. 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 Uh, Brian, is there a kitchen tool that you can't live without? The the thing that you find yourself reaching for more than anything else? A scale. I mean, scale. That's, just that's a great answer. baker that answer. <laughs> I do everything by grams. There's no cups. You know. So without a scale, you have nothing. I think our most common answer to that question is a chef's knife, but I, ah. so I appreciate your... Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to weigh it out. I mean, yeah. it's the first thing I grab is the scale every time, so... That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think our... I hope our listeners by now know they can find you at Artisan Brian yeah, on course. Instagram. Yeah. Where else can they find you? I, I have a little Twitter. It's not... A, it's <laughs> also, at Artisan <laughs> Brian. At Artisan Brian. There's a Facebook page. Um there is uh, a YouTube channel with a few funny little things on there, but uh, Instagram is where I put most of my effort, um, and the blog, everything artisan Brian. That's and it. also, you can pre-order his book, yes. New World Sourdough. I'm imagining on Amazon and where Barnes and Noble books are found, um, where books, books, are all the where books are sold, all yeah. the places where books are sold. <laughs> yeah. And as usual, you can find us uh, at heritageradionetwork.org. Get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. Why food at heritageradionetwork.org. You can reach me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram. And if you're listening now, I'm and I'm in India. Follow along. Join me. Join me on the trip. I'll, I'll be joining. Yeah. I'm curious. I might join. Like actually oh, no, join. Also, like if you want to get on a plane and come with me. <laughs> yeah, and you guys can find me on social at Foodie in New York. Thanks to Matt Patterson, our awesome engineer. Yes. And to the Red Crickets for our theme song, which is called Blind. And most importantly, Brian, thank you for joining thank us. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. It was a Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.